0: It's that time of the year, the leaves are changing, and the playoffs are approaching. Some teams have already clinched. Many more still have postseason hopes. in the bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Beast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. By my count, half of the Major League Baseball teams still have a shot at playing in the postseason. Now, the San Francisco Giants are definitely close enough to be included in my list, but I don't think they're going to make it. I'm sure Giants fans would not appreciate me saying that. But if you do want to include the Giants, then by my count, 16 of the 30 teams still have a chance at making the postseason, and we have two weeks left in the regular season, which means it's going to make for some exciting baseball in the final two weeks of the season exciting even for a guy like me who doesn't like how many teams make it to the postseason. I think the number is too big. Two teams clinched a playoff spot yesterday and interestingly they both clinched while playing one another and they both clinched before the game they were playing had even ended and yet despite all of that the game and its ending was thrilling. One ball to two strikes from Diekman in into center field. This should do it. Margot going back. It does not matter. Adley Rutschman will score, and the Orioles, who clinched a postseason berth just a few minutes ago, seal their fate with a walk-off win. A clincher. A walk-off. Control of the American League East. Now that's not bad for a Sunday. That's how you bounce back. Rays take the first two games of this series. The Orioles take the last two games of this series. And now two games clear in the A.L. East. Simply could not have imagined this. Not in your wildest dreams could you have imagined a moment and a game filled with moments like this. Brandon Hyde is going to the playoffs. Mike Elias, Orioles, are going to the playoffs. And Cedric Mullins, who was 6-for-64 six in the big leagues four years ago and gave up switch hitting two years ago, has just driven in the game-winning run to give the Orioles a two-game lead in the East a couple of innings after they clings to postseason berth. So again, that was yesterday. The Baltimore Orioles at home playing the Tampa Bay Rays. Both of them clinched a postseason berth about a half hour or so before their game ended because the Texas Rangers lost. So the Orioles are in the postseason for the first time since 2016, the Rays for their fifth year in a row. So quite a contrast. And remember, most of the years between 2016 and 2023 for the Orioles were horrendous. So that is quite a move by the Orioles. I think everybody anticipated them increasing their win total. I think it was 83 wins last year. I don't know that anybody saw them being where they are right now. And right now, they have a two-game lead on the Rays in the AL East. So the Rays and the Orioles clinch a postseason berth, joining the Braves and the Dodgers, who both clinched earlier several or a couple of days ago at least and both clinched their division. So again, the Orioles with a two-game lead on the race for the AL East title. And that race along with the AL West are really the only divisions where I think the winners are in doubt. I think the Twins are going to win the Central in the American League and the Brewers are going to win the Central in the National League. I also believe that the Phillies are a lock for a wild card position. The closest race is in the AL West, where there's a three-way battle between Houston, Texas, and Seattle. And as of this morning, that's the order. Houston in first, followed by Texas, and then Seattle. Other teams in the hunt for the wild card, the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, who absolutely spanked the Atlanta Braves over the weekend. Cincinnati, and again, you can add in the San Francisco Giants if you would like. So two weeks from today, barring the need of a tiebreaker, we will know the 12 teams who make the postseason. And then beginning Tuesday, October the 3rd, playoff baseball for the 2023 postseason will be underway, Lord willing. And that, of course, means exciting moments between now and the end of the regular season. And then exciting moments in the postseason. The question is, will we see anything on the scale of the excitement and the drama of game one of the nineteen eighty eight World Series, one of the greatest moments ever in baseball history, in postseason history. And as you know, that event or, or that drama is played each and every week as an introduction to this podcast. Kirk Gibson hitting a home run off of Dennis Eckersley, to win game one for the Dodgers. It was the only at-bat that Gibby would have the entire World Series, and the Dodgers, who were the underdogs to the powerful Oakland A's that year, went on to win the World Series. Now, I believe I may have shared this story in the past, maybe a few years ago, but it's worth sharing again because if I don't remember whether or not I told you, you might not remember whether or not you heard it. I grew up in Michigan. I am a lifelong Detroit Tigers fan. And at that time, in the 80s and 90s, before Gibby left, I I guess that would be in the 80s before Gibby left, um, you were one of two things, basically, as a Tigers fan. You either loved Kirk Gibson or you hated him. He had a surly personality, so a lot of people hated him. I was one who loved him. I loved his intensity. And I, I would tell people again and again... How many guys, year in and year out, are going to hit 275, 25 home runs, 75 RBIs, 25 stolen bases? And that's what Gibby did, and that was very impressive. So I was a Gibby lover. Now, at the time, I was broadcasting football. I was the color commentator and the play-by-play man who wasn't a big Tigers fan. He's a Cubs fan. He grew up in Chicago, was a bat boy for the Cubs. He hated Gibby. And so we had broadcast a football game for Grand Valley State University, I think in the UP. And we were heading back from that game, back to Grand Rapids, and we stopped at a restaurant to eat and watched that game one in the restaurant. And there were not many people there that night. I had Dick Nelson, the man who did the play-by-play, longtime play-by-play announcer for Laker football and basketball. He was there, I was there, and then there were a few other people there. And everybody that was there was on the hate Kirk Gibson side of things. I was the only one that was an avid fan of Kirk Gibson. So as we get to that ninth inning, and as Gibby comes out limping, they're all talking about, who is this guy? Come on, you got to be kidding me. And I'm talking back to him and all of that. And then Gibby falls behind immediately Owen 2 And so they are all over me. And I'm going, all right, Gibby, just at least don't strike out on three pitches. Just just battle. And sure enough, he does. And he battles and he battles and he works it to 3 Now, at this point in time, they've all kind of quieted down. They've they, they were forced to recognize that what he was doing was remarkable. And then he got the 3-2 slider and hit the home run. And I exploded out of my seat. And they all kind of slouched in theirs. Now, I think that's a pretty good story, but that said, it cannot compare to the story of a man who, on that night, was in or at least near the Los Angeles Dodgers dugout when all of this was unfolding. First of all, you were right there listening to Kirk Gibson warm up when none of us Mm -hmm. thought he was even available to play. Yeah. And then
1: Tommy Lasorda, the late Tommy Lasorda credits you with inspiring his team. Correct. (laughs) Well, Tommy, Tommy can be delightfully full of it. You know, he was delightfully full of it when he wanted to be. So the first part is this, they send me down. uh, I'm going to interview somebody after the game and I've got the Dodgers and Marv Albert has the A's. So I think I'm going to be doing a losing interview because Eckersley's almost untouchable, even though it's a one run game and I'm in the tunnel between the clubhouse and the dugout. And all of a sudden I hear thwack, uh, thwack, uh." and I walk down to investigate and there's the batting cage and here's Gibson. And that boy's putting balls on a tee for him and he's taking swings. And with every swing, he's grunting in pain and discomfort. So I get on the telex and I tell Mike Weissman, Gibson put his uniform on. He's taking swings. Maybe he can pinch hit. And he alerted Vin and Joe in the booth. And Vin had already asked Harry Coyle to now and then pan the dugout looking for Gibson. No Gibson. So that's the idea of drama, building drama, not fake hype, which is everywhere. Fake hype is everywhere in sports TV today. That was legitimate storytelling and legitimate drama. And it wasn't just what happened when Gibson connected. It was everything that led up to it and surrounded it. So masterfully done in the truck by the producers and directors, and in the booth by then.
0: I would guess you recognize the voice that just spoke, because Bob Costas is one of the greatest baseball and sports broadcasters in our generation. And the voice before his was Tom Verducci. So Bob Costas was on the podcast, The Book of Joe, last week, and Tom Verducci and Joe Madden spoke with him. That is a great story, and there's a lot that Costas said in that, what, minute-plus clip, about drama and real drama as opposed to fake hype that I think is very important. But again, as good as my story is, I think anyway, Costas trumps it by a, a thousandfold. Now, I've mentioned teams that are in the running still for the postseason. But there are some teams that everybody anticipated at the beginning of the year being in the postseason, and they are not going to be there. And we have known that for quite some time. The Cardinals, the Padres, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, none of them will make the postseason. And all of them have been assured of that fact for quite some time. And there's no doubt that in those organizations and others, but especially in those who who were expected to be in the postseason and are going to fall far short, that a variety of people in those organizations, from front office, to the managers in the dugout, and the coaches, to the players, will be on the move this offseason. In other words, they're going to get fired and or traded. And there are some significant moves that have already been made, made this past week, in two of these teams' front offices. First off, the Boston Red Sox fired Haim Bloom. Now, I don't follow the Red Sox closely enough to know, but I know there's debate. Is he really the guy who's at fault for how poorly the Red Sox have done? Well, regardless, he is out. And so the Red Sox now are looking for a new president or general manager, somebody to run things. Kevin Kernan, a man I've brought up several times in this podcast, wrote an article after this firing titled, Saves to the Rescue. And he is saying that who the Boston Red Sox ought to hire to run things is Brian Sabian, who's 67 years old. Brian Sabian, who ran things for the San Francisco Giants from 1997 to 2018. And he didn't simply run things. He was the most successful person ever for the Giants in doing so. Right now, he is an advisor with the New York Yankees. And I don't know if it was the beginning, the first job he had, but at the beginning of his career, he was a very successful scout for the New York Yankees. So Kevin Kernan, and he was citing many others, says that the right man for the Boston Red Sox job is Brian Sabian. And I would agree. Now remember, Brian Sabian, when he was running the Giants, led them to three World Series, what, 2010, 12, and 14. But before he took over as general manager for the Giants in 1997, he had been with them in other capacities. When I went back to the Giants, Brian Sabian was the assistant general manager. Bob Quinn was the general manager. I like Brian Sabian for multiple reasons. Obviously, his track record speaks for itself, but I like how brutally honest some people might say he is. And and I experienced that really before I got a chance to meet him. So after the 1994 season, which, as you likely remember, ended early because of the strike, I was granted free agency or released or designated for assignment. I don't remember all the details. I do remember this. I was up on the roof of our house. We had dormers on the house that we lived in at the time, and I was painting those dormers, and my wife came and had gotten the mail and said, you got something from the Pirates. So I came down off the roof and found out that the Pirates were, again, I don't remember what happened. I think they designated me for assignment and that made me a free agent. So now my agent, Greg McElene, and I are looking for where are we going? And there were a few teams that had some interest, but the Giants signed me to a minor league contract with an invite to major league spring training, typical for that kind of a situation. Well, I after that happened, there was a team that both my agent and I, based on conversations that we had, there was a team that we thought might take me in the Rule 5 draft because I wasn't on a 40-man roster. So we informed the Giants of that. So Bob Quinn and Brian Sabian call me, and they call me to inform me that they're going to put me on the 40-man roster to prevent that possible possibility of being taken by somebody else. Now, remember, I came up through the San Francisco Giants organization, drafted by the Giants, developed by the Giants, got to the big leagues with the Giants. Then I went to the Mets for two years and the Pirates for two years, and now I'm returning to the San Francisco Giants. And I would say most, if not essentially all of the important people that were with the Giants when I came up were still with the Giants. So, as we're having this conversation and they inform me they're going to put me on the 40 man roster, Brian Sabian says to me on the phone, and again, I've never, I've not met him yet. He says to me, man, I only hope you're as good as these people tell me you are. And I just love that. And Bob Quinn is like, no, 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 we're happy to have you. But I love that. I love that Brian Sabian said that. So, anyway, the Red Sox are looking. And again, I would agree with Kevin Kernan, Brian Sabian would be an excellent choice. But a team that is not looking, that has already found what they have been looking for, and I would say for at least three years, the New York Mets announced last week that they are hiring David Stearns to run things for their organization. And he will officially begin at the end or the day after the end of the regular season. So two weeks from today. Of course, David Stearns, who has been running things for the Milwaukee Brewers since September of 2015, when he was hired and replaced Doug Melvin as general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, I had the privilege of working both for Doug Melvin and then after that for David Stearns. Another interesting and I think funny story: David Stearns takes over in September of 2015. In the, twen- the in the summer of 2016. He and I are both in Helena at the same time, and we're sitting in the clubhouse, and he asked me a question. I don't remember the question exactly or even necessarily the subject, though I believe it had to do with Jeff Passon's book, uh, The Arm. And he asked me a question, and I think it had to do with pitch counts or something along those lines. And I answered his question. And he sat there, a very smart guy, and he sat there and I could tell he was taking in what I was saying, but he didn't really respond. And so I remember telling a lot of my coworkers and my wife, well, this is what happened. And either David Stearns was thinking that I had something to contribute to the conversation or he was thinking that I was completely out of my mind, but I wasn't sure which. Well, now in the fall of 2017, So in 2016, I was the assistant pitching coordinator. In the fall of 2017, I am interviewing to become the pitching coordinator. And I did, Chris Hook and I actually, and now Chris Hook is the major league pitching coach. And so in part of that process, I had an interview with David Stearns. And I remember saying to him in that interview uh, about what happened in 2016 and about what I said to my coworkers and my wife. And he chuckled and he said, no, I thought you had something to offer. But anyway, he is going to run things for the Mets. He is a native of, I think, even Queens, definitely of New York. And again, for at least three years, it's been discussed that he was going to eventually end up there. And he is. I wish both David Stearns the best and then, hopefully, Brian Sabian with the Red Sox. Now, there's going to be a lot more hiring and firing, in particular, in front offices and probably managers when the season comes to an end maybe even before. The number one team that I think everybody is talking about and speculating about is the New York Yankees. We'll see what happens there. But I have some suggestions, not that anybody cares what I think, but a couple of other people that ought to be kept in mind. I would say one for sure general manager or president. The other could be a president slash general manager or could be a manager. They're both older. Doug Melvin, who's 71 years old, who I believe was a candidate to be the GM or president of the Mets a few years back, I would highly recommend somebody consider hiring him. And the other would be Joe Madden. And Joe Madden could be a GM, president GM, or of course, a manager. Now, I worked for Doug Melvin, and I appreciated it very much. I appreciated him very much. Never worked for Joe Madden, never met Joe Madden. But in listening to the Book of Joe podcast, for really the entirety of this season, I know this, I would have loved to work for him. Now, he was, before he became a major league manager, or before he became a major league coach and then manager, he was a field coordinator and a player development director for the Angels in the early 90s. So I couldn't have worked for him then as a coach because I was still playing. But as I said, listening to the podcast throughout the summer, he has said so many things that have convinced me that had he been or was he a player development director at the time that I was coaching, that I would have loved to work for the guy. And he says things not only related directly to baseball, but things like this. With the way we're medicating children today, give them tools and abilities to possibly avoid that. And these are the things to me that avoid the the necessity to have to be eventually medicated in a situation, um, to be able to slow things down, breathe, Um, really understand what's going on in front of you. So if we get educationally, um, provide the tools, we're all going to be better off. My great advice. We're always in such a hurry. And it seems like our idols get faster and faster Mm -hmm. uh, because the information and technology and entertainment come at us faster and faster. It's important to slow ourselves down. So again, that was from the book of Joe this past week. It was after the interview concluded with Bob Costas. And Joe Madden was talking in the context of liberal arts, liberal arts education, and the tools he included in dealing with some of this issue going on, a major issue in society, and it's even a bigger issue within professional baseball, at least it was when I was coaching, medicating children or medicating young men. And he included one of the ways that we can decrease that necessity of that, and I would argue that there's probably not as much of a necessity, or anything close to a necessity, in most cases, is a good liberal arts education and reading good books. We both agree that the medication of children, and I would argue again, it, it's it's I don't know when I was playing it was something like fivefold percentage wise as it regarded young men in professional baseball. We agree that that is something we would like to see decrease. I would like to see it eliminated, except in the cases in which it can be physiologically demonstrated, it's a necessity. But we would disagree on other things. We would disagree on some of the best ways to bring about that result. But that's just it. Listening to Joe Madden throughout the summer, he would love it that I disagreed with him. He would be willing to engage in debate, even heated debate, and he wouldn't get upset. That's what I, when I hear him talk, it's like, yeah, that's what we need in the game, which is why I think a team would be wise to look to hire him as a president or GM or a manager, just like Doug Melvin. Doug Melvin is the same way. I don't know that he gets so heated, he's pretty low key, but he is not afraid of debate. He's not afraid of having people bring another perspective. Now, it's also interesting what Tom Verducci said when he said, We're always in such a hurry. And it seems like our idols are getting faster and faster. First of all, I find it interesting that he used the word idols and also some of the things he included in the category of idols. With all that's going on in the game, and really likely in your life, it's important to slow down. And the best way to do that, is by listening to the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in His Word, the Holy Scriptures, and by speaking to the Lord in prayer. That's the best way. Now, that can only be done by those who have been united to Christ by faith. But the best way to slow down, the best way to to not be hurried and harried is by doing those things. And if you just look at baseball, there are so many moving parts in baseball. And we can include in that people who run organizations, presidents and GMs, people who run the clubhouse and the on-field things, the managers. We can talk about players. All of these are on the move. And where they're going and when they're going, some we've heard about, some we're waiting to hear about. And until this very moment, I haven't even brought up all of the questions, all of the speculations that surround Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angels. But we must remove any and all idols in our lives. We need to slow down. Don't even try to keep up with it all. However, in case you haven't heard, I need to tell you this. They say Aslan is on the move. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for listening.